The last word on sport on Today FM. With Carlsberg, official beer partner of the FAI. Probably the best partnership in the world. Get the facts, be drink aware, visit drinkaware.ie. And so let's talk about that epic, extraordinary World Cup final yesterday. In a moment, we'll hear from Tony Cascarino and Mark Lawrenson, but let's start for the last time from Doha in Qatar with the chief football writer of The Independent, Miguel Delaney. And Miguel, I hope you appreciate having been at such an epic occasion yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's a pity about the staging or where it was because Qatar gets political capital out of this. That was a calculation. Uh, and that's kind of the undercurrent of what I have to say was probably the best football match I've ever been to. Probably the best World Cup final of all time. It was incredible. I mean, it's one of those, especially when you're reporting it live. And I could, there, there were so many moments and minutes of the game that could almost, that would, you know, fill any other game of these sort of stakes. It, it's, it's some of this, so much of what should be so memorable was forgettable because so many other things happen instead. McGregor, I mean, sorry, as you say that, some of the match reports that I've read have actually managed to miss the Martinez save in the 123rd minute and the fact that the ball went down the other end of the pitch and the other Martinez hits a woeful header when he could have won the game. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, that's exactly what I was about to say. Though. I mean, that, that, that minute alone could have a thousand words written on it, especially with the way Martinez, I mean, he was he foreshadowed what was to come with the penalties. It showed how, how important he was to Argentina. But this is, I mean, I was actually trying to count out the amount of minutes. I mean, another one that Messi almost won the game in the last minute of the ninety, but he shot from twenty-five yards. That's <laughs> so well to say. Um, but and it's but it's one of those. I mean, not like the challenge when you're reporting on a live. It's going to capture the essence of it, the emotion. But also, of course, reflecting and telling what happens, and that kind of c- consumes you, and means you're fully you're, you know you're fully immersed in it. But equally, it sometimes means it passes you by. And to be honest, I can't I can't wait to uh, to watch it all again. Mark Lawrenson, there are games you remember from your childhood and you sort of love games because of the naivety of childhood. But yesterday's game was in the roaring and shouting and screaming of what was happening. It was almost been like being a child again, watching it, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. The first game I can ever really remember was when England won the World Cup. And I would be, I think, about nine or something like that, Matt. But you know what? If if Hollywood were to write a, a blockbuster about football, it was yesterday. It just had absolutely everything. You know, the goals, the misses, outstanding referee and outstanding players, uh, Messi, etc., Mbappe, and all those kind of things. It was just brilliant, Matt. I don't think I will ever, ever see a better game at such a stage and on such a stage as well, being at the final of the World Cup. I just, I was in raptures about it. It was brilliant. But Tony, I suppose up until 78 minutes, it was merely a very good game, a really excellent performance by Argentina, which we'd all have admired. If it had stayed at 2-0, we'd have been talking about how good they were, but also how poor France were. And then suddenly it went mad. For you, how enjoyable did you find it? Well, I just, I watched it with my son and my son lived in France. I saw him the weekend and he was in there, he was going crazy about how bad the French were at 75 minutes, and I'm laughing, thinking it's hilarious, and don't worry, you might get a chance, and suddenly when the penalty happened with Otamendi giving away, I was like, oh, 2-1, and then it was, well, if anyone could have predicted the outcome of that game, Matt, they were genius, because I didn't have a clue which way it was going to go. You know, we talked about the saves, the missed chances, it was just that ill. Whether you said Kylian Mbappe's going to end up with a hat-trick, 
half, the 75 minutes could have gone absolutely no chance. He hardly had a kick for 75 minutes, Matt. And then to end with a hat-trick and come out the losing team, you know, it was an extraordinary event. Um, look, there was some great performance yesterday, mainly that they were Argentina's players. I've got to say the coach of Argentina done an absolute brilliant job. He set up bringing Di Maria into the team, being far more aggressive, stopping Griezmann getting the ball. Really denied that. They turned that into an advantage. McAllister Brighton, man. McAllister Brighton, the World Cup winner. Martinez, who was a reserve goalkeeper at Arsenal, you know, and gets sold to Aston Villa and now is a World Cup winner. You know, and others. It, it was just an extraordinary event. And if anyone, you know, if you can't love football after that, then you can't love any game. Miguel, was there a surprise in Qatar when Di Maria was selected? Because I admit, when I thought, when I saw him come, ah, they can't be going back to Di Maria. He's passed it. And then he was glorious. Yeah, uh, it was. Now, to be fair, it had been kind of um, brought up in the build-up, especially because the consideration that after so many intense games, he was pretty fresh. I think Scaloni also sensed this as a player that wanted to, I suppose, he wanted an element of redemption, wanted to make up for... Uh, lost time in some ways, given that he was one of Argentina's main players when he was at his peak for the 2014 World Cup and then was forced out of it through injury. And as he's, as he's written since, as he spoke publicly about since, and that, that remains one of the great, you know, harrowing incidents of his career and something he feels real regret over. And then he went to Manchester United in, in a pretty poor state of mind in the first place. So he, he really had this burning desire to set that right that came across in what was a brilliant individual performance, winning the penalty and the, the goal, which to be honest, I think actually is Sometimes these things feel overblown, but given what we're talking about, given it's a World Cup final, I think it is actually comparable to uh, um, Carlos Alberto's in 1970. Comparable? Is it not better, given the speed at which it was executed? Well, I, I suppose that we're, we're getting to debates then about you know the, the different way is, um, mo- modern football is run, sports science and all that. Because I think, funny, in, in, in the middle of the tournaments, one little quirk we got was a study by the Irish uh, company Stat Sports, who oh. uh, actually provide all this technical gear for uh, a, a lot of the a lot of the teams that are at the World Cup, and that I think the England team run double, say, of what they did in 1966, and more than double when it comes to more intense speed. So I mean, better, I suppose, in that sense is it's 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 really just about different eras. But yeah, I mean, it was again, it showcased the way Argentina grew into the tournament, and the way picking Di Maria was absolutely right and just another astute call from Scaloni is Tony's reference there and I suppose Mark Matt, when you look, yeah Mark come in there well I was just going to say there I mean even, even I mean you know France have lost lost the World Cup final but what about some of the decisions that Deschamps made what about taking the two boys off after about 40 minutes and suddenly deciding this isn't working and then you're thinking and start of the second half well I don't think it's going to work for them full stop then all of a sudden and they woke up I mean you know just Everything about the whole game was just as if you could have sat there and planned it, that's how you would have planned it. I just, I just thought it, it was brilliant, and and I, I mean, France obviously have lost out, but oh my goodness, I mean, I mean, how how well did they do in coming back? And all of a sudden, you know, you're suddenly thinking, I have no idea which team's going to win this game, and surely, you know, in a World Cup final, it goes extra time and penalties. That's exactly what everybody wants. I want to go back to Miguel because I think each team, because of the extra time, had six subs and the French had seven because of a concussion sub as well. But getting away, from, I mean, sorry, actually staying with that, Griezmann been taken off. Was that an example of Deschamps' bravery? Because given the tournament he'd had, even though he was having a poor game, who would have 
had the guts to take Griezmann off. Well, I thought bravery and maybe a bit of drastic, uh, desperate measures. I mean, I suppose the, the one thing, as, as Mark was sort of referencing there, I mean, in terms of the two subs that came on in the 41st minute, both of them had had, had, a, had an influence. One winning the penalty, Toram setting up Mbappe for that amazing volley. And I suppose it, it, it was one of those games, though, where it kind of felt it was developing into that sort of free-for-all. And really, all old rules, bar maybe taking off Leo Messi, didn't really apply. And it was about kind of trying to force things, trying to make things happen. And I'm like, I've, I've never seen a spell of football like, say, like from maybe uh, France's first penalty to the very end of extra time. It was just absolutely absorbing. And I suppose there's a sense of in, in decisions like taking off Griezmann as well. It's a manager just going with it as well. Just And I thought this is one thing that Deschamps has to be credit for. I mean, okay, his his general approach and how defensive he can be has been has been scrutinised. But he do, he's one of these coaches that has, I suppose, from, from being a player and being one, one, like a player who won so much and so many great sides, he just has that instinct for watching how a, how a game goes, the feel of it. And he did affect it with changes here, in a way, say, as the lads say, Soke didn't. Yeah, Mark. Int- yes, Mark? And the other thing as well is that the substitutions, and I think it's, it's a point to be made, which is now, because, because there are so many, we will have in future substitutes that are our sub- are substituted it will absolutely totally you know work that way so if you just kind of bring on if you if, if you're getting beat but you're really struggling it looks like the opposition is going to score lots of goals you maybe bring on a couple of defensive subs just to bolster probably midfield or whatever and then if you suddenly start to think you know we're now getting on top you can take them off and bring attacking players on so i think it's really going to enhance the game i really seriously do a lot of the rules and things that they bring out, you look at them and think, really? Is, it, is that what it's all about? But this, I think, is going to be very, very clever in the future for football. And particularly now with the games going on longer, it seems, as yeah. they've been giving yeah. more injury time and time for goal celebrations and substitutions and the rest. But go back to you, Miguel, on this, on Scaloni, and the, his adaptability throughout the tournament. He changed that team and he changed the formations and tactics almost game to game and he got new players in. McAllister didn't start in the team, for example. Fernandez comes in and becomes the best young player in the tournament. Yeah, and uh, um, Alvarez as well. Uh, it, it speaks to um, Scaloni's... I mean, he's kind of been understated in this. He went in and was kind of almost seen as a quiet man who just oversaw... a. a a good team, but one that was amplified by now, oh, I suppose we can say, the best player ever. Um, but there was obviously much more to him. I mean, throughout the tournaments, we were being told stories that he was so adaptable in the sense that he'd try something in training for a specific game, saw it didn't completely work, and would rip it up and go again. He was, he was willing to take brave chances of his own, even if it didn't always come across. But it meant that from game to game, Argentina could adapt. And one thing I have to say for Argentina as well, you know, like, I mean, they're, they're probably not brilliant World Cup champions we've seen in the past. It's actually quite a lot like the 86 side in that sense. Um, but there were so many moments where you would have thought, right, this has killed them. And in fact, la- last night almost followed the pattern of the Dutch game as well. So they've, lo- they've, they've lost um, they've, they've lost a 2-0 lead. They've lost extra time. Surely now they're just going to be overridden. Whereas in both of those games, and even more so last night, I thought it was after going behind that Argentina actually became the better team. So the resilience they had was remarkable. And really, like, I mean, on what was their third World Cup win in history, they actually, maybe rather fittingly, won last night's game three times. There was a 2-0, there was a 3-2, and then there were the penalties. And each time, they, they, they showed this resolve that's been instilled in them. 
talking about it still brings back the goosebumps from last night. I need to take a quick break. I want to come back with Tony's back with us, Miguel and Mark, for more conversation about Messi and Mbappe and also the tournament in general and also the politics of it all, particularly the way in which the trophy was presented to Lionel Messi. We'll get to all of that when we come back after this. Welcome back. We're going to continue with our discussion about that epic World Cup final last night and the competition. Tony Cascarino, Watching Lionel Messi again emphasised something I think we brought up on Friday's programme, that here was a global superstar who actually, his ego was put to the benefit of the team, that this was a fantastic team performance from the leader, which for all time means there can never be a debate again as to whether he's better than Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> I know that, and I there's a, a part of me that would have always had sympathy for Ronaldo because he's been such a great player for a long time, done incredible numbers in club football, won the Euros with Portugal. Um, in this last month, Matt, we've seen a guy surpassing by quite a long way because he's been humble, he's shown appreciation for his teammates, he's shown appreciation to the manager, and I think the world in general are just falling in love, Matt. And that's the further debate is that this guy's just gone way ahead of what Ronaldo's achieved. And it's a pity because this shouldn't have happened to Ronaldo this way. But he chose to go down a road and have conflict and upset even his own fans at club. And, you know, he can even maybe made that debate with his international teammates as well, Matt. Over this period, it's been a real kick in the teeth. To be honest, Matt, I feel like he deserved it. And what about Mbappe, Mark? Because he did nothing until he scored the penalty. I mean, less than nothing. He from the fewest touches of the ball, I think, of any mm. player on the pitch. But then the second goal was just that thing of absolute beauty at that volley. And also, the three penalties, which an F, maybe a lesson to Harry Kane, just take the same yeah. penalty three times and hit it hard yeah. enough so that it goes in. Absolutely. Um, and I think the thing with him, and we'd spoken about this, hadn't we, before the game, which was that, you know, we talked about stopping him because he just played down the left. But once, once, when he goes through the middle, Matt, it is just so completely different. And if, if you've ever played, you know, where the touchline is next to you, you always feel constricted. And then if you know, suddenly the coach goes, you know, go and sit in the middle, go and play in the middle, go and do this, it, it's like a different game. And it, it's exactly what happened to him. He suddenly had this freedom. And suddenly, with all the pace and the energy, etc., from the from the French players that came on, you could see him. It was almost like, "Wow, here we go!" I mean, and he was just he was just brilliant. And it, I don't think it really mattered for how long he wasn't very very good because he didn't have much of the ball. And by the way, the French stank for a while in 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 terms of a long long time in the game. But the thing that mattered is when he got it, what he did with it, and in the situation that it was, was totally world class. So, Tony, could it be that even though it was by the narrowest of margins, the penalty shootout at the end, and they'd had another victory by penalty shootout against the Netherlands, the reality is that Argentina were the team of the tournament with the most important best player, the most exciting games, the most drama, the most joy that perhaps in the tournament came from Argentina? Yeah, Matt, and lost their first game. And I think that was a blessing in disguise because it allowed Scaloni to make changes, which he did immediately. Martinez up front came out of the team. Um, Alvarez went in and it changed the direction. McAllister coming to the side and a lot of change happened, Matt. And 
so they've been... The penalty shootout, winning penalty shootouts is, is actually quite a common thing you need to do that in tournaments. Normally, a team wins the World Cup. is either extra time or there's a penalty shootout, sometimes both. And both penalty shootouts... By the way, I've got to say, that Lawrence in penalty shootouts is not very good. Some of his efforts to try and make a save, where Martinez looked brilliant at some of his saves. He threw him where he was going to go, got across the goal quickly. Lawrence's penalty... They, you know, and not even getting close to them. He's not the greatest. I mean, he's making great saves during the tournament, but his penalty efforts are trying to save them. I was, I was uh, astonished at how poor his keeping was. How can you criticise a goalkeeper with a penalty shootout? But I did actually think that, and it's amazing that Harry Kane, the only way he was going to miss it, did what he did was blast it over the bar against the place. <laughs> because Lawrence was never saving the penalty, man. Overall, Mark. How good a tournament do you think this was? Because actually when you do look to it, there's a long list of really exciting games. Even if maybe yeah. technically at times they weren't brilliant, there was excitement and the outcomes and the results and controversy yeah. and talking points nearly every day. It was fab, Matt, wasn't it? And probably like, like me, I just, I've watched nearly every single game as near as damn it and when it, when it was possible. And I think also, I'd agree totally with what you said, but also the fact that the Smaller countries, in inverted commas, have got better, fitter, stronger, uh, t- more tactically aware. And I think, you know, when if we kick on and we look forward to the four more years, I think that I think the competition, whatever state it's in and how many teams in it, will will be stronger than this one. So I think from that point of view, it's it's really really good. We, we get the Qatar thing and all those kind of things. But seriously, even if even if you forget yesterday's final, up until then you would go. What a really good World Cup we've had. Minnows like Morocco, etc. Um, but teams having a real go. And No, I, th- I, th- I thought it was brilliant, Matt. And, I, and you know what, as well? I think the way that the majority of referees, not all of them, the majority, let the game flow a little bit and let one or two challenges, which probably six months ago wouldn't have been allowed in the Champions League, etc. They let those challenges go. And we ended up with, and I, this is my pet hate, I'm pretty sure it'll be everybody else's, players weren't throwing themselves on the ground and, and, and yelping. They realised that, you know, the referee was going, get on with it. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, you just, you've, you've been into a challenge and you've come out second best. Get on with it. So I think in many, many ways, absolutely great. What I didn't get, obviously, like most people, was, was the, the coat or the jacket or what the hell it was that they made. A um, Messi put on. What is that? What, what is all... Well, we know what it's all about, don't we? Because an Infantino's in there like a bad rash. And you kind of, that's the only thing I think about the whole thing. I thought that bit stumped for me, but it was like, look at me, I'm Mr. FIFA and this, oh no, not for me. Yeah, Tony, here's a guy who actually manages to make Sepp Platter look moderate, which is quite an achievement. <laughs> well, he, he didn't open the tournament very well, Matt, did he? The day before the tournament started, some of his comments, and then the day it finishes, he, he didn't cover himself in glory there either. No, and of course they covered Messi's jersey and the badge with the bisht, yeah, which yeah. you could say, okay, was a symbol of honour coming from the host country, but it actually made it about the host country rather than about the winner of the tournament. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah absolutely. It, Matt, it was a privilege to be part of that World Cup this year. And, you know, I've always said, Mark touched on earlier about the World Cup that he can remember, 66 and my first game was 1970 when Brazil won 4-1. That was, I, I thought I'd never see a better World Cup final than that. And yesterday surpassed it.
Miguel, Tony was in Doha for part of the tournament. You were there for the whole thing. And I suppose we have to put this all in context because it would be easy after yesterday's magnificent final to almost forget about the fact that the tournament was taking place in Qatar in the first place. Has anything happened in your months or so there to change your mind and make you believe that it was appropriate to hold the tournament there? Uh, no, no, nothing has changed my mind. It probably has actually confirmed all the problems of this World Cup. Uh, it was too small a venue, it had too many issues. And I mean, beyond anything else, it's just allowed an autocracy to use football in a way that shouldn't be happening. And of course, the most striking thing about any of it was that this entire World Cup, the entire infrastructure, was built on a, a migrant worker system that's been described by workers and by human rights groups as modern slavery. It just shouldn't have happened. Um, it, 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 there's no getting around that. And like, there's no, nothing that happened in the football itself, nothing that happened in Qatar can get around that. I mean, you hear all this nonsense from, like, from Infantino about what a great World Cup it was. I mean, one of them was how safe people are. Well, people are safe because it's a police state. But, I mean, try and try and be a political dissident. Then, then you're not so safe. Uh, and yeah, it's just it, it remains a moral wrong, and it's it, it was disgraceful the football allowed, allowed itself to be used in this way. But FIFA evidently were only too willing to go with it, especially given. I mean, one of the lessons from this World Cup should be that there should be a human rights threshold to stage any tournament. Yet, what, what what's coming down the line? We're going to have a big push for the World Cup to go to Saudi Arabia in 2030. Okay, look, I suppose we had to mention that because it would be wrong not to do so. Um, but at the same time, you know, we could have had this wonderful World Cup anywhere, but it was a wonderful World Cup and we'll remember it for what happened on the football pitch and the drama and we'll try and forget uh, Sheikh Tamin Bil Hamid Al Thani and his bisht that he puts around the shoulders of Lionel Messi for the presentation of the World Cup with the gurning Gianni Infantino beside him endorsing the whole thing. Yeah, uh, and, and this is the thing, I mean, for all the people are saying about what a great World Cup it was, I mean, that happened because of football, which could have taken place anywhere. It's entirely independent of what of what, what Qatar are like as hosts. Like, I mean, everything around it didn't contribute to what the football was like. Um, and yeah, it, it just became, I mean, that, that, that final image. I mean, one thing that should be said about that, there'd be nothing wrong with Messi being given the bisht um, generally. It, it could have been quite a nice moment, actually, a, a nice moment of cultural embrace. But to be given it by an autocratic ruler at the moment of maximum exposure in a tournament that has been about political use. Well, I mean, let's just call it what it is. It's sports washing. We'll finish there. Miguel Delaney, Chief Football Writer with The Independent. Thank you so much for having me with us throughout the tournament from Doha, phone lines permitting, and we look forward to chatting to you loads when the Premier League returns as well. The last word on sport on Today FM. With Carlsberg, official beer partner of the FAI. Probably the best partnership in the world. Get the facts, be drink aware, visit drinkaware.ie.